Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Earlier this month, the Financial Conduct Authority said it was disappointed by the poor level of advice in the lifetime mortgage sector. The regulator said it would be intervening robustly to make sure improvements were made. As part of the regulator's review in this sector, it found 400 promotions which it deemed misleading, and it said there was not enough discussion around all the alternatives to a lifetime mortgage. I'm Damien Fantato, Deputy Editor of FT Advisor, and with me today to discuss this are Simon Chalk, Managing Director of Later Living Now, and Kelly Melville-Kelly, Director of Risk, Policy and Compliance at the Equity Release Council. Hello, both. Good morning, Damien. Good morning, Kelly. So... One of the uh, overarching conclusions that the FCA reached was that, there, as I've mentioned earlier, there were many examples of advisors steering outcomes towards a lifetime mortgage, failures to discuss uh, alternatives. So basically, if you went to an advisor to ask about a lifetime mortgage, you ended up getting a, a lifetime mortgage regardless uh, of your circumstances. Uh, Simon, how familiar does that sound to you as a, as a description of the lifetime mortgage advice sector? Well... I can only speak from anecdotes and personally within our firm that absolutely does not happen because we position ourselves first of all as later life financial planners and explain to a client that it may or may not involve a lifetime mortgage as a means to an end because it is just one of an array of options that we'll put before them. But again, anecdotally, yes, we're in this sector, I've been here 20 odd years and we do hear of cases where uh, there's a, almost a funnel process, a filtering process to get down to a distilled and compotted recommendation that is a mortgage. And occasionally in, in competition, when we've come across a client scenario, we have seen examples of where they've had put in front of them a recommendation from another firm, really before, in our opinion, there's even been a robust conversation or fact find completed. So it's been a quotation process. There you are, there's a quote. That's the best deal. That's the lowest rate. And we can tell that happens because those clients will often start the conversation with us around cost, fees and interest rates, rather than what they need and whether they're going down the right path or they should close this off. Mm -hmm. Kelly, does does it seem like a familiar um, representation of of, of what's going on to you? Uh, Often in this market, customers come to equity release having exhausted all other options. You know, perhaps they have an interest-only mortgage that's due repayment. They don't have a repayment vehicle in place. Perhaps they um, have no disposable income um, and they they want to turn to lifetime mortgages in order to utilise their property wealth. Um, And we've seen more and more of that as as customers are doing increased research. Um, Regardless of the reason why they first come into the lifetime mortgage journey, it's up to the advisor to really understand the customer circumstances. Um, and in doing that, they need to look at what the customer wants to achieve and the different options in order to achieve it. So that's what 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 should be happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just, just, just to carry that thought on um, for a little, uh, a little bit longer, obviously we can't... Um, we can't go through the entire um, pros and cons of of, of and the entire um, details of of what advisors should be doing in in this circumstances. But what would you say, um, Kelly? Are the sort of would you look for to say, you know, that's you know best practice advice in in this sector? What what might be the hallmarks of, of that? I I think first and foremost, it's a, a customer and an advisor who work together to ensure that the customer's objectives are met in the best possible way. The 
the best way to do that is by an advisor getting to know the customer. So that's a complete know your customer process, which is which is a fact find normally. So a full and robust fact find, getting all of the information of the customer, their circumstances, their needs, their wishes, um, their income, their expenditure, um, looking at by, by taking all of that information, um, they'll be able to then determine actually what options are available and go through those different solutions with the customer. Um, at the council, in terms of best practice, we, we develop a lot of guidance for our members. We've got a, a checklist that helps advisors look at, at what they should be doing. Um, we have developed a competency framework, which is available for, for people new to the industry and, and people who've been here a long time to, to help them really get some skills and knowledge in terms of what they need to be doing. But absolutely, you shouldn't jump straight to an equity release as a solution. There's a lot of other options that are out there that, that should be considered as part of that conversation with the customer and not just considered and, and having a conversation that needs to be documented um, and, and documented robustly. And I think we've seen that from, from the feedback from the regulator. Mm-hmm. So, Simon, what, what, what do you think about this? What, what do, you, do you think are some, some of the hallmarks of, sort of best practice uh, advice in this lifetime mortgage sector? Well, first, I'd echo what Kelly said, um, very much so. Um, for me, it's a case of taking a step back from it when you receive an initial inquiry about equity release and really understanding the client's position and what journey they've been on to bring them to speak to you at that moment in time. Because as Kelly noted there, they've often perhaps looked at alternatives and dismissed them in their own minds. I think what was evident from this FCA report, and potentially more so in the 2021, is that there was just not enough robust challenging of clients' assumptions and their thoughts and feelings around issues so uh, uh, an obvious example here, which is right on the Equities Council checklist and has been there for many years since 1991, is, is um, an option for downsizing. And very often, a lot of the um, reports I've seen from other firms when it flashed in front of us, it will have one line. You don't wish to move home. It, it is a tick box mentality that's led that to happen. And that clearly is wrong. The regulator is now bringing that home to, to roost and saying, you can't do that. Where's the conversation? So best practice and, and um, guilt, I can't remember, it was kite mark, whatever phrase you use, Damien, but best practice me would explore that and say to a client, okay, so why don't you want to move home? And they're just very open questions where they have to speak. They can't just say yes or no, I don't want to move home. Do you want to move home? No, I don't. Why don't you want to move home? And then from that, they'll, you'll get a story. And it could be, the, the property just meets their needs. It's future-proof. It could be family, friends. It could be social life in the sector. It could be amenities, access to bus routes and transportation. It could be a million reasons. But the point is, that's the client explaining how they feel about something. And again, in the 2020 piece from the regulator, they talked about the client's voice not coming through, not being heard in the reports and the file notes. And so to me, that's the story. And it's the client's story that's, well, A, fascinating and interesting, but it gives you a massive amount of clues as a planner Mm. to say where you need to be headed. And if I just may, um, the challenging part of this, as in challenging those assumptions, very often I find that when people say, oh, I don't want to move home, they haven't really investigated it. It, It's an off-the-cuff remark because they're fearful fearful about moving home they think it involves things that they've not done for 20 30 years and it's daunting particularly if you're now a widow or widower 
and you may be in your 70s or 80s. And there's a fear factor. And to me, I think it's the advisor's job, the planner's job to say and chance a little bit more. For example, we've had clients who have moved home after an equity lease even and downsized. And we facilitated that. Mm. We've been in touch with the estate agents we trust, solicitors we trust. We've worked out stamp duty calculations for them and give them a budget and done the porting of the existing loan that we've arranged in this firm or somebody else has. And that takes the pain away. And that, to me, is about advice and planning and not the sale of a product. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was going to be one of my next questions, I think, in a way. Um, when, you, when, when, you, when you say, tell someone, look, I don't think you're suitable for a lifetime mortgage, where do, you, do you, where do you send them? Do you just sort of wave them out the door and wish them all the best with their life? Or, or do you move them on? Do you take them to an estate agent or a, a, maybe a retirement income advisor, something like that? Uh, is that a question for me? Or yes, for you, for you. Thank you, Damien. Um, well, it, it can't stop there. We have a duty of care. Whether we've earned to fear or not doesn't really matter. Somebody's walked into our space, asked for help and support. As far as I'm concerned, our job is to deliver that to a point. So if we conclude that an equity release solution is not right, it's either not right now or it's not right ever. If it's not right ever, then there's usually an alternative or hopefully there's an alternative. For example, we've had one where we couldn't help and they face a repossession order, but they need a structural survey. So we put them here through our relationship director in contact with somebody who can run the structural survey and determine what problems the house might have to help it get ready for sale and to present it to an estate agent. We've not earned a penny and it would do a whole piece of work for this couple who are in dire straits and we're unable to help having had two failed uh, applications on the property. Uh, and she's still in touch with us, thanking us and letting us know how she's getting on, which, you, which, is, which is lovely. It makes you feel great that you've done, you've done some good. Um, to me, it's about a case of understanding where the line stops with equity lease and saying to a person, OK, so we can't facilitate this or it's just not right. I'm not prepared to do it. And let's hope they don't walk through the door if somebody who is prepared to do it, because mm-hmm. we know that probably goes on in some circumstances. So our job then is to signpost them, as you've just said. And to do that, you need to have good contacts that you trust and respect, and you need to have quite a bit of knowledge. A prime example of that is if somebody comes to you seeking advice and equity leads to pay for domiciliary care, you need to have a really good understanding of how social services works and the touch points for referring there. You need to understand how systems like direct payments work, continuing health care and attendance allowance and pension credit and council tax support if you've got cognitive impairment because all of those things are alternatives to what you're being asked to look at so if you don't understand those as an advisor you could miss something inadvertently and not through deliberate looking to cause harm but the client could get a worse outcome and end up with an equity release product or too much of an equity release product too much money when you could have looked at those alternatives first and put them in a better position mm-hmm. so an advisor needs to improve the skill set i'm talking in generalizing of course with some brilliant advisors out there but those that aren't up to scratch need to improve their skill set improve their knowledge in areas that impinge upon the, the, the work they do and establish some good working relationships so they can outsource to specialists in their own right where they don't have that in-house skill themselves mm-hmm. uh- 
Kelly Simons talked a little bit there about how he works with advisors, um, different types of advisors across the board. He works with all sorts of different professionals to make sure that someone, um, he's not just sort of waving someone out of the door. Is, is that something that um, you, you, you think should be more widespread? Should this be something that um, uh, uh, equity release advisors should be doing as a matter of course? Absolutely. It's a must. If if you've got a customer in front of you and you think another option's better, like a standard mortgage or a real mortgage or maybe even a personal loan, then it's it, it's up to that advisor to signpost that customer and put them in touch with someone who could help them. And it might be that they they go somewhere, they sit down with that other advisor, and that's not the best option, and it comes full course back. But by building up the relationships and those referral pathways, you can ensure that, that you're doing the best job for your customer. So yeah, referral pathways are imperative in the market. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I suppose one of the um, some one, as someone who uh, was a cynic might say that one of the problems in this market is that um, uh, advisors receive commission from providers. Uh, obviously, this is an, an area commission has in other sectors uh, been. Um, uh, removed from from the equation, um, Kelly. Do you think that um, advisors in this sector should be looking away from from this from this model? I think one benefit of the current fee structure is that people can engage with the advice process without incurring up, upfront costs. Um, and if there were upfront costs, it might prevent customers exploring their options, particularly those that are cash poor to begin with. Um, if if you move to that other structure and, and you required firms to charge upfront fees in every instance with, with no proc fee coming from the lender, um, you would make advice more expensive and exclusive at a time when millions of UK households have a need for more accessible, affordable advice. So I would advise caution for, for, for looking at anything around that. Mm. Simon, what do you think? Uh, I have mixed feelings about this. I really, really do, because obviously I run a business and we're a commercial operation. and We absolutely must and should make a good profit. It's imperative so we can invest in systems and processes and earn a decent living for our team here. But at the same time, I do feel as though there's been a, a huge distortion in the marketplace driven by some of the main um, advisory firms in this space pushing the limits in terms of the levels of commission they receive, which we know are now breaching 4%. Uh, whether that's excessive or not, I'm going to let other people sit back and think about that. But it's a lot more than smaller firms like ours and new entrants into this space get. So that's the first distortion. I do agree with what Kelly said there in that uh, care for what you wish for, because if we were to suddenly say that there's a commission bias shown, so therefore let's remove commission from the equation, then it will price out of the market the dispension, dispensation of advice to clients who are in most need of it because they're often the ones that don't have the money in the bank or they've already spent a whole load of savings. They're at the point of needing some cash pretty soon and they need good sound advice. So we don't price them out of the market. The second point to it is if we move to a fee-based RDR type model, level four, which in many ways I would like to see happen, but we remove commission, then logically, a lot of the advisor firms in this space who have already taken a write-up beating, many of them through no fault of their own in the last 12, 18 months, they're going to be gone mm. uh, because they will not be able to afford to operate on the business profitably because this is heavily transactional. Although we talk about clients, they are mainly customers doing one-off transactions, possibly two or three interactions. 
afterwards, but usually it's not a review process. It doesn't, it isn't built in. So that puts these clients in need, these customers in need over to IFAs. And most IFAs have already looked at this space and gone, do you know what? On top of my investment management, my wealth management, my estate planning, succession planning and pensions, I can't do this. So they would have to bring an in-house specialist into their firms on a fee-based model purely to look at later life borrowing. I'm encompassing Rios and everything else here. They'd have to do that. And suddenly their PII rockets another 10 or 12 grand. They've got to bring a whole new CPD competence and consumer duty program in. So the cost of that would be Mm. prohibitive to that model. So again, my worry is that a lot of people will fall between the cracks where the IFA say, sorry, we'd love to help you, but we can't. And then people uh, at the other end who are currently specialists trying to do a good job have died and withered on the vine. So that's why I'm in mixed feelings. But I do think there's commission bias between uh, firms and product providers. And maybe we need some levelling because the range from provider A to B to C can be in huge steps. And if you're not a good one, then you could certainly be lured to go down the wrong path and make it fit and shoehorn. Mm-hmm. I suppose the, um, the, the, the challenge uh, is that something like uh, it's, it's similar to similar to to, mortgage, to traditional mortgage working, I guess, is that it's um, it's a little bit more transactional, maybe than uh, financial advice where you enter into a relationship with somebody over decades. Um, but on but it's something that you don't you want to sort of remove that you know that pure sales um, um, in, incentive um, uh, as much as possible. Um, Simon, how, what what are your thoughts on how you sort of square that? It's down to ethics. Uh, I'm afraid it's it's down to hand on heart mm. where you as an advisor as a firm uh, behave the characteristics of the firm, your processes, your systems. You can have all of those. You can have the expertise council putting in place lots of, you know, well-intended rules and, and, and guidance. And it's great. It's wonderful. And I've been part of that in the past on the, on the standards board there. But the reality is that none of it's mandatory. And mm-hmm. the only way to force it to, to become a better marketplace would be the regulator to say, we are abolishing commission. Now, that, that's a turkey voted for Christmas. I completely accept that. And I'll have lots of enemies in our sector for even mentioning those words. But that's the only way the regulator can get rid of, of, of that and make sure it is fee-based. But again, you have to be careful what you wish for and think about the effects of that. And will that deliver better outcomes for clients? It will in some cases, but it won't in others. Mm. Because people are going to fall between the cracks they're going to end up elsewhere and doing nothing. They're going to end up losing the homes. They're going to end up having miserable existences in old age because they don't understand that this is a product that can improve their life because they believe the stuff out there in, the, in, in media that um, is critical of equity lease. Mm-hmm. We so often start conversations with people about all the bad stuff. And once we've tried to give them a balanced, uh, objective view of it, at the end of it, I often turn around and say, do you know, actually, it's, it's really good, this, isn't it? Mm. And they've had like a, um, an epiphany. It's suddenly the light bulbs come on and said, actually, this works really well. And now you've put it like I've positioned it against my pension and you know all the tax issues involved in taking my pension, all of these other uh, factors, I can see where it fits. And it's not perfect, but mm. it actually works for me. Mm. And so if we aren't out there doing this mainly for free, 
as Kelly quite rightly said, doing it for hours and hours and hours for free because we're charging nothing unless it concludes. And that's how most firms work. I don't know many that charge fees up front or delivering a suitability report or doing research. It's on completion of business. Then if we don't do that, who is? Where are people going to go? So I, I think it's something that definitely needs to be debated. And it's a big discussion and it needs a lot of interested parties to, to put their two pennies worth in to help the industry and the regulator decide. But for me, one thing that's sure, having had three, well, two successive reports and, and in between we had the DSCO letter 2021, mm. and 22, lost count where we are. <laughs> uh, the, the DSCO letter, I think it was last year, June. When you look at all of that, this is the regulator in between the lines saying, look, you ladies and gents have got this wrong uh, and we're starting to lose patience with you. So get it sorted. This is mm -hmm. your chance. Otherwise, we will intervene, not just at company level. We're going to change this marketplace because consumer duty uh, on top of TCF all those years ago is going to be driven through. You're not going to spoil that for us. Yeah. Kelly, just to bring that to you, um, what do you... Do you have any thoughts on on, on on what Simon said about that? You know, squaring that sort of whole, you know, transactional um, issue, and also whether whether there should be um, more um, robust um, intervention from the FCA in terms of um, better regulation. I think culture is very important. We have seen under consumer duty and before consumer duty that the regulators really looking to move away from a, a sales a sales culture to an advice culture. Um, and, and that's something that we're speaking to our members with a lot about how we do that and how you incentivize and, and, and how you bring that forward. Um, I think um, one of the, the biggest things that around commission is transparency. And commission is very transparent in our market. The, the customers know exactly how the advisor is going to be remunerated. It's covered in the key features um, and, and that is very transparent. We did a lot of work earlier on in the year to bring terms and definitions into line so that everyone was calling apples, apples and pears, pears in, in, in this market, which which I think is helped under consumer duty as well. Mm. Um, regarding the, the regulation question, we absolutely welcome engagement from the FCA and share its its commitment to putting customers first. We're now approaching 20 years um, of when the, the FSA regulated mortgage or equity rates back in, in 2000 and 2004. And it's been 10 years since the mortgage market review. And if you think over that time, the amount of external changes that have happened, not just politically, environmentally, everything, but actually look at product innovation, our product is is no longer as it was 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. The flexibilities um, that comes with it. I mean, just last year, we we put in a fifth product standard at the council, which which says that all products actually have to have the ability for for products to for customers to make voluntary payments, subject to to um, terms and conditions. That's huge. You know, that, that's a game changer for many customers that have a little bit of affordability that can actually make little payments as little and, and often as they want in order to offset some of the interest on their mortgage. That that wasn't possible mm -hmm. 10 years ago. So um, it's really important that, that we continue yeah. to understand the products that we have and how they feature within regulation. And I know that the regulators considering equity release and lifetime mortgages as part of their, their, their um, upcoming thematic review on retirement income. And we welcome it because it has to be reviewed as, as part of the housing wealth journey. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Okay. Great. Well, um, Simon, uh, Kelly, uh, thank you very much for uh, your insight and thank you very much for listening. Uh, Tune in again uh, next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.